Well, many are saying that the instant number one national best-selling book in awe is the message that we all need right now. Why not then delight family and friends and clients and colleagues and maybe even yourself this holiday season with a gift of the book in awe? It was released by Penguin Random House back in May of 2020. In Awe is an invitation to rediscover childlike wonder and unleash inspiration, meaning, and joy. You're probably asking the question, where do I learn more about this, John? Perfect. Visit JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash shop. Again, JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash shop. You'll receive, when you arrive there, uh, notice of our biggest sale of the year. Order in quantities of 10 or 20, 30, or even 75 for an opportunity of saving up to 50%. I want you to think about how much life has changed in the last 10 years. Professionally, technologically, politically, globally, in your relationships. Think about how much change you have experienced, how different life is. Well, for the last 10 consecutive years, Keeley Companies has been named a top workplace by St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Their most important assets are their people, also known as the Keelians, and are credited as the backbone of their business. You can learn more about the Keeley Company's dedication to their employees by visiting KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. I have a question for you before we enter into today's podcast and before I bring on today's guest. The question is this, what if the best thing to happen to you hasn't happened yet? Let me ask that again. What if the best thing in your entire life that has happened to you hasn't even happened yet? Well, our guest today believes it's not a question you should ask, but a fact you should know. Antonio Neves believes that the very best thing in your life has not yet occurred. It is around the corner. It is over the horizon. It is yet to come. It's going to be today a phenomenal conversation with an award-winning journalist. He is a success coach. He's a leadership speaker. He's a professional question asker. He's a wonderful storyteller and an even better human being. I loved my conversation with Antonio And I believe after you dive in and listen in and tune in and then apply his teachings, you too are going to love this conversation. My friends, I'm recording this introduction after I recorded the interview with Antonio. Here's what I know. This is the kind of podcast you are going to absolutely want to open wide. No, not only your minds, that's part of it, but also your journal. There's going to be some quotables. There's going to be some tweetables. There's going to be some ideas from within this content that will inspire you. And if you apply it, it will elevate you. So get ready to rock and roll and realize that the best thing in your life to happen has not happened yet. 
with my friend and now yours. His name is Antonio Neves. Antonio, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here with you. Thank you. Well, and as you and I were talking right before I hit record three different times before the thing hit record, sometimes the best conversation I have with my guest takes place right before the record button is even hit. And as you and I were rolling, man, I'm like, dude, we've got to stop now so I can bring in our audience to learn and borrow and sojourn along this path with us. So I, I just gave you a long rambling introduction, celebrating some of the things that you have accomplished in the past professionally and are accomplishing today professionally. But when you have an opportunity to introduce yourself to an audience, man, how, how do you like to say what you do professionally and who you are all about personally? Yeah, well, it's a great question because as you and I both know, the internet tells a story but it doesn't tell the whole story. Google can never tell the whole story about us. That's typically where people get their information uh, with some gray hairs on my face and some years behind me. Today, I'm happy to tell people that I'm Gigi's husband, uh, that I'm August's dad, I'm Harper's dad as well. Um, those are things that years ago, I wouldn't necessarily have identified myself as. A, a really fun question I love to do in workshops and training sometimes is ask people, how would you introduce yourself to someone if you couldn't reference your career yes. or reference your profession? And John, so many people get stuck because we get tied into what our title is, but we are so much more than our job title. If you want to like create connection with someone, let them know you're from a small town in Michigan, like where I'm from, not far from a NASCAR speedway. Uh, let them know that you know, you're the father of five-year-old twins like I am. Tell them about your home life, et cetera. Those are the things that end up, I find, bringing deeper connection as opposed to all the stuff on the, the internet will tell you. Mm. That's a great place to begin. So we, we're going to come back to those twins. We're going to come back to uh, being Gigi's husband and, and the work you're doing today. But you mentioned the raceway. You mentioned the small town of Michigan. And so much of our work, it, it may take place in LA or it might have happened in New York City. But the origin story is really where it began. And so I'm going to go back to the to the beginning, man. Let, let's talk about that small town in Michigan. What was the name of it? And talk about some of the experiences that began forming you into the man that you became. Yeah, Jackson, Michigan. This is a, a small town uh, that not, frankly, many people leave from. It's a, it's a blue-collar town right in the center of Michigan. Um, it's a place where back in the day, uh, when the auto automotive industry was strong, you could always count on getting a good job to uh, take care of your family and do some good things. Uh, so for me, it really instilled a really, really strong blue collar work ethic. It instilled a, an aspect of community. It also where a lot of my foundation was formed. I mean, growing up before I graduated from high school, I moved over 15 times in my small hometown between my mother and father are a total of six different divorces. They weren't married to one another six times, but three divorces apiece. Uh, there are times in my life when you know, I lived briefly in, in shelters for battered, abused women and children. Uh, I, I don't share that stuff to, to elicit like any, like, you know, sympathy or folks who feel sorry for me or anything like that. But again, it goes back to what the internet tells you, uh, but it won't tell you the whole story. So from a young age, I always knew that there had to be Another, another way. Mm. I don't necessarily even know where that came from. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, out of all my siblings and me, I'm a first generation college student who found his way to Kalamazoo, Michigan, to Western Michigan University. 
Uh, so, but something inside of me in, in the midst of the tumult, in the midst of challenging times, I knew there always was another way. And it's interesting. I think people who grow up like I did can do one of two things. They can get really shy and they can retreat and go to a corner because of me, because of the instability, the never knowing what's going to happen each day at times. It made me go out and introduce myself to people. Uh, it made me connect with people, but connect from a perspective of I'm going to get to know all about you. I'm going to let you speak as much as possible, but you're never gonna get to know anything about me. I think it's probably one of the reasons why I ended up becoming a journalist and interviewing other people because I never really wanted to be interviewed. Most people just love talking about themselves. They just love it. And so when you when you when I do recon to bring a guest on my show, I read every book they've they've written and I listen to just about every podcast they've been on. And what I've noticed about you, Antonio, is so frequently, man, in the middle of an interview, you'll like start flipping it. So the interviewer will ask you questions. And by the time you're done answering, the question goes right back to the interviewer. It seems like you are this naturally inquisitive guy that is far more interested in life and in others than you are on bragging on yourself. Well, I'm just naturally curious. I'm just curious about so many different things. Like I think my mentality is one of, hmm, it's one of, Tell me more about that. I mean, I'm a weirdo. Like when I'm interviewing people, when I'm coaching my clients, I hear things in my in my head. Like there are bullet points being connected. There are pieces of puzzles that I'm able to put together. Like it's a gift that I have. If, if there's a superpower that I have, and I know we all have different superpowers, mine is being a professional question asker. Like if it's something that I'm good at, something that I love that can elicit amazing responses from people, it's being able to ask great questions. And I think also the reason why I've struggled throughout my life to talk about myself, one is probably a good amount to do with my upbringing, uh, but also just I was a journalist for so long in New York City where you're supposed to be impartial, right? It's not about you, it's about the guests, it's about the story. So I've done a really good job of keeping myself out of things. And so my challenge these days, what I'm trying to do is actually incorporate more of me into what I'm doing, going back to create that connective tissue between me and the reader, the listener, et cetera, uh, which, which is frankly, it's challenging at times. You mentioned Kalamazoo and leaving home and 15 moves growing up. Obviously, a, a, a difficult upbringing, lots of change, lots of challenges. When you went on to college, did you try to bury that past? Did you try to tell your new friends and dorm mates that uh, did, you, did you keep your past in the past? You know, I just wouldn't volunteer information. So maybe that's another way of saying burying the past. I wasn't going to volunteer things. Like you said, I've always been the person that makes other people feel like the expert with the questions. But to your point, it was me starting a brand new chapter. I, I couldn't have used that language back then. It was me creating a new story for myself. It was me creating a new identity. Uh, so yeah, I didn't volunteer those things, but I will say that those things did create connective tissue between me and some of my and a fellow student athletes on the track and field team that I walked on at Western Michigan University and different people on campus. Uh, but yeah, when, during that college experience, I didn't volunteer that information. When I you know, moved to New York City with less than a thousand bucks in my, in my bank account, that wasn't information that I volunteered either. To your point, yeah, I was creating a brand new story. I looked at it as a, as a blank slate, as a chapter. I didn't want to talk about those things. Th those are the things, frankly, that I didn't, talk about them, John, because I was embarrassed, man. I, I was embarrassed about a lot of those things. I was embarrassed to have moved so much. I was embarrassed from at times being from what you call a, a quote unquote low income family. I was embarrassed to say my parents have been divorced multiple times. So 
Uh, today, I'm not embarrassed whatsoever. Love my mom, love my dad. I can only imagine the things that they experienced. But back then, there was some, you know, definitely some embarrassment with some of those things. A little bit of love right there for Al and Zanny, your, your, your mother and your father. The, uh, yeah. one of the experiences for me, man, is for, for me and so for so many individuals that I know and love, we become a lot like the people who raised us. And we become like the people we spend the most of our time with as kids, whether they be peers, classmates, people on the teams, whatever, church, synagogue. Who was a positive influence for you? Ignoring mom and dad just for a moment. Was there a coach or a teacher or a peer, someone's parent who just said, gosh, you're so gifted. Look what you could do in your life. Yeah, I can think back to sixth grade uh, when I was going through a challenging time. I think when a kid could turn the proverbial wrong corner. Uh, I had a sixth grade teacher of mine, Mrs. Hirschman, God bless her, who ended up like casting me as the lead in the sixth grade production of The Nutcracker. Seems really basic that she did that, but that did something in me that I needed at that moment. I didn't know it, but that taught me to believe in myself. You know, the power of belief is something when you believe in someone else, it teaches them to believe in themselves. And that's what Ms. Hirschman did for me. That's what, you know, Pastor James Hines did for me, the pastor of my church in, in high school, who helped me in track and field and beyond. But more than anything, growing up, success was interesting because I saw success in the small town of Jackson as those, those men that lived on the other side of town that I lived on. These were people that had homes that had garages and they had cars inside the garages. These were men that wore dockers and white button down shirts and, and blue blazers that maybe had anchors on the, on the end of them, those gold anchors that, had, that wore the loafers with the, 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 the tassels on them people that went on vacation it's like they know something that i don't know that that's success over there because i don't experience any of that so in a way i looked at what was on the other side of the tracks if you will as what success was and i learned later in life everyone's version of success looks different because when i experienced that i'm like no nah, i'm good <laughs> i don't want all of that some of that's cool but not all of it uh but yeah there were teachers that poured into me in college and beyond pastors at church etc friends families that always invited me over and I was always welcome in their homes and those people uh they just showed out for me in so many amazing ways so dude you, you mentioned a moment ago that you headed off from Michigan up to New York you had a full one thousand dollars in your pocket uh, if you take a vacation up to New York that might get you through the weekend you're going up there to move and you got a thousand dollars and there is not a backup plan so so what was the plan going forward what were you going to do up in New York I lived in New York City well, for over 12 years. I have friends that pay you know, over $500 a month just to park their car in a garage. When I moved to New York City, my plan was to find a way to break into the television industry. I did something crazy. I, I got that, that quote unquote good job job that everybody talks about in college. Yeah, I got that good job uh, down in South Florida as a sales representative for a major food company. And after doing that job for almost a year, I realized that just because you're good at something, doesn't mean that you're supposed to be doing it. And I realized there are things that I wanted to do to spread my wings. I'd always been interested in entertainment and storytelling. An internship at Walt Disney World in college really exposed me to that world. Had a friend that I met when I studied abroad in, uh, in college in Spain. He invited me up to visit New York City, visited once and I came back. And I said, hey, I don't have much money. He gave me a, a floor to sleep on for some time. Got a, got a temp job, like the, the second day being there. And that was my journey, just to figure out this entertainment industry thing, see if I could find a, a big break. Took a little over two, three years to get that 
that break, but I was willing to work. I mean, I worked multiple jobs, temp jobs, catering jobs, serving food, worked at the retail store, H&M. But I was fired up during that time as well. Like it was an adventure. It was a journey. I I was hungry. And um, so it was a challenge. Most people in my life said, what are you doing? You're crazy. You got this good job. You have benefits. You have a company car. Why would you leave that to go work three jobs? And I think it maybe it was the spirit, maybe it was the Lord, I don't know, but I always felt this metaphorical kind of tap on my shoulder when I was doing that job in Florida that says, again, it's a good job, but it's not your job. And I knew I could always get that a job like that again. I didn't know if opportunities like moving to New York City, if I would ever do that again. So I decided to be a little bit cliche and bet on myself. Well, the... The, the bet paid off, my friend. The door opens wide with an organization some of us may have heard of, many of our children have watched, called Nickelodeon. T- talk about even how that came to fruition. And Nickelodeon's an interesting story. I mean, again, the internet will tell you that you know, for over two years, I co-hosted a, a live show on the network called Youth Hit Live, a daily live show. What the internet won't tell you is that my first entry into Nickelodeon was as like an executive assistant to uh, one of the senior vice presidents uh, there at the organization. And for almost two years, I was an assistant learning the ins and outs of the television industry of that organization. Then an opportunity opened up to work on this television show, to work on the show, not be on the show. Right. Uh, but once I got that job working on the show as a production assistant, uh, lo and behold, uh, I found my way on camera, eventually becoming a full-fledged quote-unquote cast member, co-host, uh, I should say, leading up to that, you know, I was taking acting classes and hosting classes in New York City, definitely investing in myself and doing things. It wasn't happenstance. They just had, hey, you, come over here. No, right, I definitely right. advocated for We did a warm body today. Well, yeah, 100%. Because it's funny, just, you know, on those moments when your opportunity shows up, you have to be ready in those moments. And so that led to over two years of live TV, anyone that knows anything about the television biz, I wouldn't recommend necessarily starting your career in live TV. You learn a lot, <laughs> you mess up a lot, but it was a heck of a, a journey. It was an amazing start to a 10 plus year career in TV. Well, and then summertime 2004, the best thing in your life happens. And that is only in retrospect that you're able to say that. So tell our listeners in 2004, what happened that rocked your world? Oh, my God. holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, I was on, imagine going from being on TV every single day. You're signing uh, autographs on a regular basis. You're getting recognized at Walmarts and at uh, airports and all this kind of fun stuff. You're interacting, interacting with big name stars. But after two years of being on that show, uh, frankly, I wasn't doing the best. I wasn't learning. I wasn't getting better. I wasn't, I guess, what I think Seth Golden would have called a linchpin. I wasn't necessarily needed. And the decision was made for me to no longer come back to the show. Essentially, I was fired. My contract wasn't renewed. And I found myself, I moved from New York to, to Los Angeles the first time. And I found myself in the, in the biggest funk of my life, going from um, being on TV every single day to sitting in closets, drinking beer, smoking weed to numb out so that I, I wouldn't feel. I thought at that moment that the best thing ever happened to me it happened to me that it was in my past and nothing good will come of that moving forward uh you know what i've learned now is that as we've heard you know setbacks can give you an opportunity for those those comebacks those pauses 
that we don't orchestrate, that are orchestrated from some other situation. If we allow them, if we allow ourselves to learn from them, they can provide us with so much. And that pause in my life, it catapulted me in new directions. It helped me identify what was and what was not important. Uh, but also, it's interesting, John, we talked about my upbringing at the beginning of the conversation, and it made me realize also that I got into television for all the wrong reasons. Uh, that kid in television was still that nine-year-old kid that craved being loved, that craved mm. attention, that craved validation. Me being on TV was validation that now all of a sudden that I was somehow important. It's kind of like when you look at social media nowadays and you see certain folks that have that, that blue check mark next to the name that says they're, they're quote unquote verified. Uh, it took me moments like that for me to realize that though I couldn't articulate it like this back then that yeah. I and everyone else were, were, were verified by God the day that we are born. Like, mm -hmm. you know, no blue check mark can verify who we are. That, that happens from the day that we are born. So that set me off on a journey, realizing that no red light on a camera telling me that we're live on TV uh, tells me that I'm valuable, tells me that I'm something. I'm something without all of that. Wow, dude. I mean, that, so that wasn't part of the story I was expecting to hear from you today. And it's such a rich part of all of our stories when we embrace it. You mentioned, John, I left New York. I was on top of the world. Now I'm in LA in a closet, smoking weed, drinking beer by myself in the bottom of the pit, falling down. What changed? I'm fortunate. I can't stay in a rut too long. I'm naturally an optimistic dude. Like, yeah, I have ebbs and flows, good days, bad days, like everyone else. But again, that upbringing, that, that Michigan background, you only can feel sorry for yourself for so long, but then you have to get up and then you have to, you have to do something, right? And that, that was me. Uh, I had to get up and do something. So while I was there, I started again taking classes. I found an agent, started booking some television commercials. Uh, I started building a community out there in Los Angeles. I started getting curious in other things. And I realized that as much as I love that Nickelodeon experience, my, my mission at that point shifted to, hey, I want to tell, learn how to tell stories that matter. My mm -hmm. job at Nickelodeon at the end of the day, as much as I loved it, great informative experience in my life was to make sure people didn't turn to the Cartoon Network or to the Disney Channel. We wanted those kids to stay locked in. I wanted to tell bigger stories that mattered more. And on a whim, based on a suggestion of, of a friend, he suggested that I apply to Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism to learn how to tell better stories. And that's what I did, not ever thinking in a million years that I would get accepted, but I ended up getting accepted into grad school at an Ivy League institution. I mean, growing up, I didn't even know what an Ivy League institution was. And I found myself back in New York City in, in, morning, in the Morningside Heights area uh, in grad school at Columbia. And that was a, a transformative experience in so many different ways. It was going back to school. It definitely was building up my confidence again again, from being a little bit beat up, but I was being pushed in uh, some other, other ways on that campus. Antonio, so much of my life, I have walked into rooms not feeling like I fully belong mm -hmm. and then faking it to make it and eventually recognize that uh, you don't need that blue check mark, as you said earlier. You've already been verified in your birth, like you have royal blood coursing through your veins. But if I'm really honest with you and our listeners, many times I, I don't feel that way. Like I really have to push myself to to try to belong, to fit in. I'm just speaking from my gut here, but I would imagine a kid who uh, 
grew up where you grew up and had the experiences you did in your childhood and failed out of New York that first time and found yourself in a closet in LA doing what you were doing. And it eventually stumbles back into the Ivy league of all places, Columbia, that there were probably moments where you did not feel like, like you belonged. Is that, is that accurate? And if so, oh. how, how did you begin to pivot that internal language? That's more than accurate. <laughs> 100%. Uh, when I got to that campus, I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt like I was way out of my league. You know, when when, people, when you go around having your conversation with your new classmates and they're asking you where you went to undergrad, wow. you know, I say Western Michigan University, when you're hearing all these other quote unquote brand name schools being said out loud, I, I didn't feel valuable. I felt a little bit out of place. But the truth is, John, and I, I'll, I'll piggyback, I'll come back to the Ivy League thing is, I've never really felt like I belonged uh, over the course of my life. I've always felt like the weirdo. I've always felt different. I've always felt not, not better, different, that I had different interests. So much of my life, you know, being a man of color, I've been the rare person of, of color in many, many rooms over the course of my life in classrooms and professional settings, et cetera. So I've always felt like a little bit odd. I remember reading something quite a few years back and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to the extent of, you know, when you say you don't fit in, have you considered that maybe you're not supposed to fit in? Mm. That maybe you're supposed to show up in this unique, weird, geek, nerd way that you are, and that in itself is okay. So even today when I step into rooms and I don't necessarily feel like I fit in, I, I embrace that in a way. I, I'm okay with it as opposed to trying to conform because I know all about conforming and it doesn't feel good. But back on that, that campus at Columbia University, I didn't feel like I fit in at all. And it only took a little bit of time for me to realize that me thinking a lot of these folks were, were smarter than me, were more equipped than me, that I could handle my own on that campus. I had the book smarts. I, I, I could play catch up. In many ways, I felt like I had a, an edge in that mm -hmm. I had some street smarts as well that I felt like a lot of my classmates did not have. Uh, and I, I felt like that was a little bit of my, my secret sauce, my background. I, I was non-traditional. I think being non-traditional was my edge. I think those things that make us feel a little bit embarrassed, those things that we may be a little bit ashamed to say out loud, surprisingly, they're like our, our, our secret sauce, those things that make us unique, those things that make us special that no one can, can take away from us. So slowly but surely on campus, I definitely built up my confidence and, and felt good about being there. I grew up my whole life, John, hoping things would happen. Like you hope you get the job. My mindset was so was so crazy that even though when you have direct deposit, it shows up every two weeks, there was something in my brain that I still had to check it to make sure it shot. I hope it showed up. Like why <laughs> wouldn't it show up? It shows up every two weeks. Why, why is this in your brain? Uh, well, I realized a lot of my classmates at Columbia, whereas I hope to be there, they expected to be yes. there. Those are two different ways. And so I, I like to talk to my clients, people I work with by having a, a mindset of expectation, not privilege, you know, that, that, that ugly kind of privilege of that I deserve to be here, but the expectation that you deserve to be somewhere because you've done the necessary work to be in that room, to be on that stage, to be on camera, to be on that podcast, et cetera. So there's a big difference between hoping and expecting. Man, I love it. You shift eventually from hoping, which is powerful, into expecting, which is almost like hope in action. That's extraordinarily powerful. 
And that's going to positively lift you professionally and financially and relationally and into the world of a woman named Gigi. And by 2016, to accelerate the tape just a little bit, uh, life on paper is awesome. You, you got the career, you got the girl, you got the life, you got the followers, you got the work, you got the money, you, you got it all, man. You got it figured out. And yet that is not exactly the world as you were experiencing once you shut your eyes. Would you, would you just talk about the gap between the perception and the reality? Yeah, 2016, like you said, the internet would say Antonio Nez living his best life. I got those Lou verified check marks you're talking about. I'm speaking on stages all across the globe, married, have the house literally with the white picket fence, uh, the father now to newborn twins, earning a, a good income. On paper, everything looks great. But behind the scenes, John, my life was a hot mess. My wife and I were heavy, heavy in marital counseling. We got fired by therapists. We, it, was, it was so bad. Uh, I was struggling to connect with uh, my newborn twins. Uh, I found myself phoning it in on stages. You know, it's like you get on stages in front of hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And it's a total, in my book, a disrespect to phone it in and not give your all on stages to those folks that handsomely uh, write checks to you. I gained 30 pounds, grew this big beard to hide the weight gain. Just for a note for the audience, beards don't hide 30 pounds. Found myself ending the nights sedating, you know, having that glass or two of wine or, or drink so I would not feel. More than anything, this was a time of my life when, when I needed him more than ever. Uh, my father had been diagnosed with dementia. Unfortunately, he could no longer speak. He could no longer talk. I had to move him to a nursing home. Uh, so I really found myself a secret cigarette smoker of all things, something that I actually absolutely despise. And I remember one day, John, I was sitting in an alley smoking a cigarette in Santa Monica, California. What I perceived to be a homeless man came up to me and asked to borrow a cigarette. I gave him one. We started talking like smokers do. And at some point, John, he noticed I had a bright green gardening glove on my hand. And he asked me about it. And I was like, oh, I'm wearing this bright green gardening glove because my wife doesn't know that I smoke. I don't want her to know. And he looked at me like I committed a crime, like he felt sorry for me. And he said, hey, man, you got to figure that out. You can probably figure out what word is in that blank. You got to figure that. And that moment right there, you know, really did set me on a mission to, to course correcting my mm -hmm. life. The truth is for so many people, there are a lot of people who've checked off the boxes in their life, they, what society told them to do, but they feel lost. They feel like they're living on autopilot. They're going through emotions. That one, they feel bad about even talking about it because society says you made it, you should be happy, you're good to go. Um, but I, in many ways, had, had stopped trying in some regards. Uh, in many ways, the manual to my life that I received ended. I remember six divorces. I don't know what it means to be a husband. I uh, remember, uh, you know, all the moving different things. I didn't know what it meant to be a father. I, my manual came to an end. So that's why I found myself distracted. Um, even more interesting, I think, when it comes to the manual coming to an end, that kid we talked about that moved to New York City with less than a thousand bucks in his bank account, that kid that was bold, that kid that was courageous, guess what? A lot of that had gone away from my life. I was no longer being bold. I was no longer being courageous. I was being passive. I was being reactive. In a way, I had to have a rebirth. I had to remember who I was. And I'm fortunate that you know, nothing crazy happened during that time, though I did find myself in the ER and having to get cardiac MRIs because the stress and everything was crazy. 
But I found myself living in autopilot and that led to not only the book, but me having to recommit to what's most important. Because as you know, we talk so much in society, but you got to commit, you got to commit. One thing people don't talk enough about though is you have to recommit every single day to what's most important. Recommit to being a great husband, a great wife, recommit to being a great parent, recommit to being a great member of the community, recommit to being a great professional. And I, and I hadn't committed in a long time at that point. There's so much there, Antonio. So in your book, you wrote beautifully about that wearing that green gardener's glove and, and sneaking that cigarette where nobody's going to see you. And then this gentleman that you perceive as being homeless walking over to you and and you get the lecture from him. Now figure this out, dude, figure this out. So as, as you turn off autopilot, because that's what's eventually going to happen here, you stop slowly cruising to the finish line, hitting the snooze button until finally God calls you home and you start fully waking up and, and re-engaging, recommitting. What were some things that you began doing or some people that started stepping into your life that helped you do exactly that? Yeah, well, first, isn't that a great reminder that angels can show up absolutely anywhere? First and foremost, you know, I sought out support. In moments like that, what we tend to do, and I did it for quite some time, we isolate. Even prior to the, 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 the pandemic, uh, there was an epidemic, the CDC, of isolation, people isolating from others. And that's what I did. Uh, so what I, one thing I did is, um, you know, I hired a coach to work with. Guess what, people? Sometimes you have to write a check. <laughs> Sometimes you have to write a check and pour, you know, pour into group coaching programs, coaching programs. I had a therapist as well that I worked with, so I had to invest in myself. Uh, I invested in the community. Uh, these group of guys that we spend time with pretty much every single week. Uh, I'm a firm believer that no one who has accomplished anything of significance did it alone. I had to remember that whatever challenges I was going through, I was not the first person to go through these things. I could go get guidance and leadership from other people. So first and foremost, I decided not to do it alone. I had to recommit to that every single day. Uh, something else I decided to do was to take action on many of my ideas. As I mentioned in my career, I was passive. I was a guy that, you know, for many years was on camera and TV and and speaking on stages. I love I love interviewing people. I love having conversations like this. Yeah, I didn't have my own vehicle for myself to do that. Out of this came the podcast that I do today. That's you know that's ranked regularly all across the world and and, and the most random places. I can't believe. It. I'm sure like you. You know, all the countries that people listen to it, it just blows my mind that people listen to my podcast all across the world. Uh, so I took action on my ideas. I had to remind myself the same way I'm going to remind someone listening right now who needs to hear this. Google Docs, Microsoft Word, your notes app on your phone, those things were not built for your great ideas to go and die. <laughs> those applications weren't built for you to put your ideas and then go die and gather cyber dust and, and gather dust in our real, real life notebooks. Uh, so I started taking action on my ideas again. Uh, I got focused. You know, I was trying to do too much. As you know, when you try to do everything, you, you end up accomplishing not much of anything. Uh, so those are, are a few things. Community was absolutely key. Taking action on my ideas, um, getting focused, and doing things that, you know, I think back to moving to New York when I regularly found myself in situations where I'd get an increased heart rate or butterflies in my stomach. I, I call this finding the edge, those things that you know you're growing, you're moving forward, you're pushing yourself. And I decided to put myself in more situations like that so I could grow and stretch myself. And uh, 
can't say it's been like totally perfect right since then but it's been an amazing journey that i and, and i wouldn't change any of those things so you, you mentioned uh, doing too many things means you do nothing well and in the book, when you write about that, you talk about a Long Island iced tea. So we, we won't revisit the years of 21, 22, and 23 when some of us were sipping down those Long Island iced teas. But needless to say, if there's too many things going into a drink, it's unhealthy for your body. And if there's too many things going on in your life, it's also unhealthy for your life. You also lay out in the book a whole lot of cool coaching strategies. So I'm just going to walk you through a couple of the ideas of the task or the questions you uh, put forward that are so wise to reflect on. So the first one, it's a great one, is what role did you play in this? It's just a question you got to ask the guys or the ladies staring back at you in the mirror, whether you've succeeded at something or failed at something. But tell me about the power of asking authentically the question, what role did you play in this? We're so good as a society, as people, uh, at pointing our finger at everyone else. Right now, this is a great example. We're pointing our finger. We can point our fingers at home, at our spouse or our kids. We can point our fingers in our local community for different regulations that are being imposed. We can point our fingers at politicians, at society and beyond. We can point fingers at our boss, et cetera. But when things aren't going good, when things aren't going great in your life, I find a question that you know amazing people are willing to ask themselves is, is, is what role have I played in this? Yeah. So if there's an argument taking place at home, you played a role in that. If you got fired from your last three jobs, odds are all of your bosses can't be the devil and it's just all of their fault. You've had to play some role in that. If you constantly experience, I mean, we can go on and on with examples, but this question of what role did I play in this, it does something that most people rarely do and that is being willing to take accountability for their experience. Yes. Accountability, that's a word that people don't like to hear. It's a word that I wanted to stiff arm for the longest time. But when you say, what role have I played in this? It starts to shift things. You start to see openings of how you can maybe do things a little bit differently. So I, I invite people, whether, and by the way, don't ask yourself only what, during bad times, what role did I play in this? Guess what? When things go great, what role did I play in this? Because then you can identify those things that you can do to replicate good things happening on a regular basis. That's good. You know, so, so much of coaching seems to be future fo focused. So what are the goals over the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, four quarters, 15 years? What, what will you achieve? What's that greatness that you seek? That's all great. You've got a really simple question though, that is not for future focused, but reflective looking back and not looking back since childhood, but looking back over the past 30 days. Talk about the power of having a 30 day inventory. Yeah, I think I've been a coach, you know, success coach for over for over 10 years. And I found in the beginning of my work, I did those three years out, five years exercises. And I found, unfortunately, when I met my clients there, it paralyzed them. But they weren't ready to go there just yet. After some time, we could get there in our work. But right in the beginning, if anything, it was paralyzing. I find a lot of organizations can do this as well when they plot out their five-year visions and beyond. John, I'm a firm believer that our last 30 days give us a great idea of where we are or where we are not heading in our life. And a question I like to frame for people, and I'll frame this just briefly in three different ways for people is, you know, if you happen to have a job right now, a great question you can ask yourself is, if your boss or manager had to make a decision to rehire you based on the last 30 days, would they immediately say yes, or would there be some hesitation? 
Mm. Now, typically when I ask that question, people are like, oh, there would be some hesitation. Now, when you answer this question about the last 30 days, I don't want people to beat themselves up. This is all just data. This is all just information that you can act on. So when it comes to our career, I invite people just to think about what are some of those things that you stopped doing that got you to where you are today? And how can you go back and bring some of that, what I like to call that day one energy? Remember that when you find out you got the big job, that job you interviewed for, you finally got it. Remember how you showed up on day one, week one, month one? How much of that man or woman still exists today? Are you still holding up your end of the bargain? A lot of people aren't. So they can, they can take action on them. Many of my clients are these men and women that, that get big titles, John, like vice president, director, senior vice president. And then once, I know you're a sports fan, once they get that big job, all of a sudden, they stop doing all the things that got them the big job. I like to frame it with sports like, are you playing to win or playing not to lose? Those are two different approaches to life. Another quick example, if you happen to be married like I am, and listen, this, this question did not always go well for me. And I always tell people when I have an audience or a workshop to buckle up. If you happen to be in a relationship, married, spouse, partner, you name it, Based on the last 30 days, if your partner had to make a decision to recommit to you or not, right. would they immediately say yes or would there be some hesitation? Most people know based on how they showed up those last 30 days in their marriage, et cetera, most people wouldn't necessarily recommit. The great thing about this 30 days reflection, John, is that you can ask it based on your career, your relationship, parenting, your health and fitness, uh, your personal finances and beyond. And again, if people don't like the answers, it's all just data. It's all just information that now we can choose to act on. It is so good. And yes, I'm going to be stealing this shamelessly, not, not only for clients, but, and I'll be, I'll make, in, I'll make sure that you get the credit for it, but in my family, in my marriage, in my faith walk, in my parenting, as my, as my role as a, a son, all these jobs, looking back at 30 days, What's it like? Is it still as powerful as when you first started the journey forward in whatever area that you want to focus on? It's really good stuff. And so my friend, before we move into what we call the Live Inspired 7, I have three of your quotes in front of me right now. And dude, I, I wrote down 13 quotes, but I won't go through all 13 right now. You, your book is just chock full of them. These three jumped to the top of the list though. Here comes number one. Tell me what you're saying in these words. No one can or will care more about your life than you care about your life. So it's time to start acting like it. Tell me what that means to you. People need to know that anything I write, anything I say, anything I tweet is for me first before anyone else. Like, it's funny, in many ways, the audience comes last. Like, it's for me first. If you ever see me say something like, wow, he's being tough. Like, no, I needed to hear that. I think so many of us, here the truth is this, John, guess what? Our spouses care about us, our bosses care about us, our parents care about us, our, our community cares about us, but, but no one can care more about our life than we do. So we have to act like it. It's, we've reached a point sometimes where we're expecting other people to care and to do more for our, our, our life than we're willing to do for our own life. And I'm a firm believer to, to be the example mm. on a regular basis. In this day and age, when we talk about so many different things being contagious, guess what else is contagious? A good attitude is contagious. Uh, uh, um, a great work ethic is contagious. Giving your all is contagious as well. 
So I, I want people to stop waiting for other people to show up and do the right thing. And I want them to do the right thing. And, and they'll be amazed at how that rubs off in their household, in their work, in their community, uh, in their worship and beyond. Antonio, that you mentioned the attitude being contagious negatively or positively. And I just got to let you know, as a, a friend and cheerleader of your work, your attitude and your voice is so packed with joy. I just, I, I love your cadence. And I love that even when you're not smiling, there is a smile in the way you sound. So uh, just know that your attitude is contagious and it has lit me on fire many, many, many times. Quote number two from Antonio Neves is this. In fact, it's not your quote, but you use it. Here it comes. You know, man, it's just water. <laughs> Heard the quote up in Alaska, but I want to I want you to tell the story of who shared it with you and what it means to you today. Here are the quote is one more time. You know, man, it's just water. It's just water. I was reporting a story in Juneau, Alaska. It rained a lot in Juneau, Alaska, based on the geography. I was living in New York City at the time. One thing I noticed being around Juneau was that as I walked down the streets, no one, and pretty much no one used an umbrella. And again, I'm a very observant person to a fault. And I said, no one here is using umbrellas. What's going on? It's like a twilight zone situation for folks who know what twilight zone is. And I went up to someone on the street and I said, excuse me, sir, I'm not from here. And, and he looked at me and basically said, I know. Because <laughs> uh, I had this big old umbrella and I just didn't look like everyone else. And I said, hey, I noticed that no one here is using an umbrella. Why is that? And he looked at me and he thought real hard and he had glasses on John that beaded up water on them from the rain. And he said, hey man, he said, you know, man, it's just water. It's just water. And that hit me on so many different levels in that moment. It hit me philosophically. It hit me like as existentially. Any word that ended in L-Y, it hit me and it just made me understand that even during challenging times, when things aren't going our way, if we approach it, if we view it the right way, it's just water. And the cool thing about water is that during mm. those moments, those seasons of our life when we're getting hit by water, I'm in one of those seasons right now, by the way, um, that can build up grit, that can build up resilience, it can build up perseverance, it can build up a strong character, all these things we, we talk about. But here's the key I've learned when it comes to water. When we get hit with water, guess what? It's our responsibility to go find the sunshine to dry. That's the key part, right? We're going to get hit by water, but it's our responsibility now to go find the quote unquote sunshine so we can dry from that. Yeah, it's just water, man. <laughs> I love it, dude. It's my new bumper sticker. It's just water. It's just yeah. water. I love it. Beautiful story. And the, th the third and final quote is this. And darn, it's a good one. So listeners, I know we've been rocking and rolling for a while, but turn the volume up a little bit more, grab your journal a little bit closer, get ready to write these words down. If your life was a movie and the movie was halfway over, what would the lead character start doing right now to turn things around? Let me tell you, well, I love that quote. One, I can ask myself that question every single day. And you know what it helps me do, John? It helps me make decisions. If society, if, if there's a paucity of anything in society right now, it's a paucity of people being unwilling to make decisions, right? I'm a firm believer that the next steps in our life will not be revealed until we make a decision about our current situation. And what I have to remind myself and remind people on a regular basis is that not making a decision is still making a decision. 
if you want to create momentum in your life, have compound interest type effect on things in your life, we have to make decisions. And what's great about that question, you know, if your life was a movie, what would the lead character start doing to turn things around? One, it's a great coaching question uh, for those coaches who are listening because it separates the actual person from the situation. It puts them like in a third person kind of world, which, which is great because it's easier. It's easier to say to someone, hey, if your friend was in the exact same situation as you, what would you advise them to do? Totally. It creates freedom for them to do that. It's a great coaching question. So one, it creates that, that safety for them to ask, to, to answer. Second, they can always come up with an answer immediately. All right, they're afraid right now to hit publish on that blog post or that draft they've been thinking about for a long time. If your life was a movie, what would that lead character protagonist do? Holy smokes, I'm having, we're having friction. I'm having a, a trying season right now in my marriage. If your life was a movie, what would the lead character in that movie do to start turning things around in that marriage? Parenting, finances, beyond. That question, when you're stuck, and so many people are stuck right now, uh, is a lightning rod to get people to make decisions and, and take action. So good. And it's important not only uh, for the movie stars among us, but also as leaders who are part of the society that seems so fractured and divisive to uh, do your part, to just do your part. This is part of a movie that we are in. What do you, what do you want to do to make this thing better? Not only for yourself, but for uh, all of the actors and actresses involved. So Antonio, listen, man, I, I have a feeling you and I are going to do at least one more podcast together before this thing is all said and done. But knowing that the end of this episode is approaching, I wanted to walk you through seven questions that tether all of our wonderful guests as one. The, the very first question to my new friend, Antonio, is this. What is the best or most impactful book you've ever read? Ooh, the first one that comes to mind is the great book by The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, which I've read multiple times. I get it, give it to most of my clients as well. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. What is it about the big leap that influenced you positively? Well, one, I've had the opportunity over the years to train uh, quite a bit with, with Gay Hendricks and, and his wife, Katie Hendricks, uh, both amazing PhDs. But it introduced me to this concept of upper limits. And upper limits are those places we reach when we get close to achieving something, how we can reach a limit and we can bring ourselves back down. And it mm -hmm. created like an awareness for myself, like even like if you ever... Like they say, when the most arguments happen in relationships, when, the day after you get back from vacation, like you had this most amazing time, you're feeling the most love ever you've ever felt for your partner, your spouse, whoever. And then all of a sudden you find a way to create a fight because you've reached an upper limit, uh, an upper limit of love that you never experienced before. So let me, let me start a fight to bring me back down, to bring myself back down to what I'm used to. So introduce me to this concept of upper limits so I could be aware of them in my life and my career, et cetera. So I don't allow them to stop me from, you know, experiencing success, happiness, et cetera. What's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little fellow growing up in Jackson, Michigan, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Wow, man, that's a, such a powerful question. I would say I, I exhibit this in my son, uh, my son, August. He wakes up ready to attack the day. That there's, it's just straight up joy. You can't stop this kid. And uh, I, I, I think a lot. <laughs> I think too much. And I, I, I wish I was in more joy, joyful attack mode. I've never said those words together, but just uh, attack the day with more joy. 
That is awesome. Attack the day with more joy. I'm always looking for the quotables, the tweetables. Attack the day with more joy. Be more like little August, this five-year-old kid lit up for life. If your home caught fire and those twins are out and your wife is out and the animals are out and you have an opportunity to run back in and grab one thing, one item that really matters to you, what's the one thing you come racing back outside with? You know, I'm, I'm going with what's coming in my brain right now. And the first thing that came in my brain is there's a picture probably the year before my mom and dad got divorced and when all the family was together. It was me, my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister. It's classic early 80s. And for some reason, as you said that, I was like, I, I'd want to grab that. Everything else in my house is replaceable. Uh, we would be fine. But something about that image, for some reason, just popped into my brain. If you want to see the picture that he's referencing right now in this story, and I think you do, it will show you a glimpse into his life. Visit me right now at johnolerianspires.com forward slash podcast. If you could sit on a bench on a perfect day and have a nice long conversation with anybody living or dead, who do you want to be seated right next to? Yeah, uh, I even as you were saying that, I got emotional thinking about it. It'd, it'd be my dad. As I mentioned, he's uh, in a nursing home now. He has dementia. He can no longer speak, uh, no longer walk, talk, none of that. And I think there was uh, a lot of conversations that that we didn't have, uh, that I didn't allow to happen, that all the different excuses I can come up with why they didn't happen. And I miss uh, not having those conversations with him, especially now that he's actually physically here, but I can no longer uh, speak to him, though I do talk to him when I go to visit him, et cetera. But that, that's who I would have a conversation with. And I, I'm, Antonio, I'm just going to remind our listeners, it's so easy to listen to someone else's story and think that we're listening to someone else's story and forgetting the fact that we're part of this, this movie. So for those of us wondering, wow, um, I hope that never happens to me. Well, the one way to ensure it doesn't happen to us is for us to take action. Yeah. So between the idea of thinking about something and doing something, that's where most of us make the mistake of pausing too long. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, my father doesn't have dementia, but he does have Parkinson's disease and none of us are gonna live here on this side of eternity forever. But in hearing you share that and the emotion with which you shared it, it makes me wanna just spend even more time with my mom and dad because you don't know what yeah. tomorrow has in store. What, what's 100%. the best advice that your father or your mother or one of the pastors or your bride or August or anyone else, some teacher in your life ever gave you? So more succinctly asked, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, now I'm thinking about my dad. All I'm hearing right now is we're at a, we're at a, a recreation basketball league when I'm in grade school and I follow someone. And I remember hearing my dad yell at the top of his lungs in the small gymnasium. If you're going to foul him, Tony, foul him. <laughs> so basically, if you're going to foul, really foul. Use that to hit him, hit him hard. And so that, be, that may not be the best thing you want to hear a dad tell a kid at a, at a grade school basketball game. But basically what my dad was saying, if you're going to do it, do it. Mm. Don't, don't, don't get 50%. Don't, if you're going to, and that's Al Neds, if you're going to do it, do it. Don't do it 75%. There's no, there's no such thing as 99% commitment. You're all in or you're not. Antonio Neves, if, if speaking and writing and podcasting and coaching doesn't work out for you, perhaps a bumper sticker company is in your future, man, because you're, you're, you're packed with a lot of them, man. I love them. I love them. Sure. Just two final questions before we let you run. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? If you could go back in time and go back to that little school 
in Michigan, what would you whisper into that sophomore in college's right ear? That's easy. Uh, your happiness hurts no one. Tell me more about that. Your happiness hurts no one. Why does he need to be reminded of that? And why do we need to hear that today? It goes back to what we mentioned with that. I love how all these questions are connected. It goes back to what I mentioned, the upper limit problem and the, and the big leap. There are moments in my life when I experienced joy, success. And as I started reaching certain thresholds, things I've never experienced before, I would do things to bring myself back down. Being in a relationship with an amazing girl in college. Holy smokes, this is amazing. She actually really cares about me. She likes me. I should end this. This is going too good. The rug is going to get pulled from underneath me. Let me end this now prematurely. Early in my career. Wow, career is going great. Job's going great. I'm earning more money than I've ever earned before in my life. You know what? I'm not used to this. Is this going to last? You know what? How about I pivot and change jobs right now? Right when things are going really, really good as I'm experiencing success and joy. So I think those are some examples to your success, your, your happiness hurts no one. Awesome. I'll reach a certain level of happiness, a certain level of success. And because internally, though I couldn't articulate it at the time, I didn't feel worthy of that. Maybe at times I felt guilty of that. I would do some type of um, self-sabotaging behavior to bring myself back down to what I was used to, what I, what I thought, what I thought my life was supposed to be. Antonio Neves, it has been said that all great people can have their life summed up in one sentence. Here comes question number seven. How would you like your one sentence to read? Mm, the best thing to happen to you hasn't happened yet. Mm. And I say that from a perspective of so many of us think the best thing that happened to us is in the past. Talk about getting college degrees. We talk about getting married. We talk about having kids. We talk about buying homes. We can go on and on about the best thing to happen to me was this. And you know, I'm a firm believer that if I wake up every single day and believe and work like the best thing to happen to me is ahead of me, as opposed to behind me, great things begin to happen. I show up differently in this life. I show up differently as a husband, as a parent, as a professional, as a member of the community. So the best thing to happen to you hasn't happened yet. That, that, that keeps me leaning forward. Antonio Neves, author of Stop Living on Autopilot. I want to thank you for helping us take off the autopilot controls, help us to remind ourselves again that the best thing in our life has not yet happened yet. Remind us that it's just water, man. It's just water. And you reminded us very clearly today that indeed the best is yet to come. Man, thank you for your work, your words, your passion, your joy, and your life. Thank you for having me. Thank you for how you, you show up. It means a lot. My friends, that is Antonio Neves. My name is John O'Leary. And today, yes, this day, today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, what a joy it was to have you along for the ride as Antonio and I discussed his journey, his life, his mistakes, that darn yellow glove, the challenge from his friend on the street corner, the truth that his best days, even still after some adversity, remained in front of him. And that same truth applies to all of us. I mentioned on the front side of the conversation, there were going to be some phenomenal tweetables, quotables, ideas that you may want to write down in your favorite Live Inspired journal. If on the chance you somehow forgot to open yours up and you've just grabbed it right now, 
I'm going to share with you right now a few of my favorites that Antonio shared with us. Here they come. How would you introduce yourself if you could not reference your career in that introduction? Think about that over the holiday season as you move through this Hanukkah season into the Christmas holiday, into the New Year's and beyond. And people say, hey, what do you do? What if you could not reference your career? How would you introduce yourself? I think that's an important thing to remember. Just because you're good at something does not mean that you're supposed to be doing it. That was awesome. When moments of opportunities show up, you've got to be ready. And yeah, setbacks are opportunities for the comebacks. The pauses we don't orchestrate, if we allow, can catapult us in a brand new direction. Here comes a great one. When you say you don't fit in, have you considered maybe you're not supposed to fit in? Be non-traditional. That was my edge. I think that's all of our edges. Attack the day with more joy. Your happiness hurts no one. This is beautiful. Your happiness hurts no one. And by the way, my friends, during this season, their happiness, their success, the gifts they receive, the life they lead should hurt no one either. So your happiness should hurt no one. The best thing that happened to you has not happened yet. My friends, these were some of the, gosh, I'm looking down at my paper right now, almost 20 bullets that I took as Antonio was sharing with us. I hope that you took notes. I hope that you were inspired. I hope you're ready to elevate your life going forward. And if you enjoyed this program as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you, there's a couple ways to ensure that you get more of this going into your life going forward. Number one, subscribe. If you haven't yet subscribed to the Live Inspired podcast, do so today. It's a wonderful way to make sure twice weekly these podcasts show up in your life. So subscribe. You can rate and review. It's a cool way to not only leave your mark, but also to make sure that others hear about the Live Inspired podcast. And if you enjoyed this specific one, you may want to check out two of my other favorite ones in the same vein. One of them is with Sean Aker. Sean Aker is a teacher and a researcher around gratitude, around expecting. He's a phenomenal guy. Great interview. Check it out. Sean Aker. And the other one, this one may surprise you if you haven't been around the Live Inspired Studios for a while. John Tesh. Yeah, that guy from back then. That's right. John Tesh from the entertainment industry shared a remarkable story of pursuing doggedly success only to recognize what real success ultimately meant. It's a beautiful story. So consider checking out John Tesh or Sean Aker or any of the hundreds of other guests that we brought onto the Live Inspired podcast. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our community. I want to thank you for not only helping share this message for others, but living it in your own life. I want to wish you a wonderful holiday season. And as we move deeper into the Christmas season, a very Merry Christmas for this time. And until next time, my name is John O'Leary. And today is your day, my friends. Live Inspired. Many are saying that the instant number one national best-selling book in awe is the message that we all need right now. Why not then delight family and friends and clients and colleagues and maybe even yourself this holiday season with a gift of the book in awe? 
It was released by Penguin Random House back in May of 2020. In Awe is an invitation to rediscover childlike wonder and unleash inspiration, meaning, and joy. You're probably asking the question, where do I learn more about this, John? Perfect. Visit JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash shop. Again, JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash shop. You'll receive, when you arrive there, uh, notice of our biggest sale of the year. Order in quantities of 10 or 20, 30, or even 75 for an opportunity of saving up to 50%. My hometown of St. Louis is an awesome baseball town. For those of you who know my story, you know that story. You know the impact of the St. Louis Cardinals and Jack Buck and baseball on my life. You also know it's a phenomenal hockey town. And for those who have read the book On Fire or know the impact of the St. Louis Blues, not only in this community, but also on a little boy named John O'Leary, you know that it's a hockey town as well. What you may not know is the town keeps expanding. We are now, drumroll please, a soccer town as well. That's right. We've been a soccer town for a while, but now it's official with MLS moving to St. Louis. And our friends at Keeley Companies are proud construction partners in building the new stadium, downtown St. Louis, focusing on applying their extensive building experience, their commitment to developing, and then implementing a successful workforce development with diversity and inclusion. Keeley Companies CEO and my friend Rusty Keeley said this, We are honored to be part of the project of creating a positive legacy in St. Louis. Learn more about that project and other projects going on at Keeley Companies by visiting them right now online at keeleycompanies.com. 